welcome to episode 26 of the Sales Syndicate podcast. Uh, last week was a, a bit of a break for us in that we jumped on Rev Genius. Uh, WTF is RevOps. Um, but we're back this week with a, with a Selligence Zones uh, episode. And we're also joined by a Selligence uh, employee, one of my colleagues. Um, so I will let him introduce myself, but I will hand over to George. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, good to be on. They've been nagging me for a while now, so felt at any right. I uh, I give my two cents and talk a little bit about my journey at, at Selligence and where it all started in sort of beta mode four and a half years ago now, and now living it up in in sunny Tampa and everything in between. Yeah, you know, George, George says I've been nagging him, but I think uh, anyone internally will tell you that if, if there's one person that likes to get his face and his smile out there, it's George. So I think. Uh... He was just being polite, not not pestering me to get on the podcast, but I'm sure it's going to be a, a great episode. And as George said, we're going to be talking about the last four years of his journey, particularly at, at Selligence, um, and his his move to, uh, or eventual move to uh, Tampa, which is where he's living now. So we're going to break it down chronologically. I think that's just, it just seems like the easiest way of doing it. Um, and I think if we rewind the clock, I'll hand it over to you for the, the first, let's say six to 12 months. And I think we're going back to 2019, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. February of 2019, first job out of university Um sort of stumbled it into it, to be honest, Um actually applied for a researcher role within what was talent ticker at the time. Um, spoke to the head of research, Scott got on quite well. Um, Looking back, research definitely wasn't a function for me, though. Unfortunately, Nick Vaughan, the CEO, sort of pointed me in the direction of sales, which I was very hesitant about to begin with. Um, had the whole sort of car salesman uh, mentality or understanding of, of sales at the time um, and was really looking for more of a big four route or something along those lines. Um, but he told me I'd be the first person within that sales function that we are building a really exciting, innovative product, um, which he went into in a bit more depth and did sound genuinely interesting and that he needed someone to help him because we know he wears a lot of hats across a few different businesses at the time um, to really just help with getting our product to market because at that point it was very much in beta mode. Um, so took what felt like a bit of a gamble at the time. Um, in all honesty, didn't think I'd be there probably much longer than six to 12 months. Um, but almost instantly began to to really love the the day to day um, of that that role, which was I, I guess technically a sort of business development analyst position. Um, really, it was everything from trying to define our our ICP, our target market, um, but more so my time was probably spent, which is quite unusual for a sales position, um, on the product side because we were only really in the early stages of getting people onto the platform. So it was. On one part, trying to do as much prospecting um, and email outreach as possible. I actually used to use Word documents to track who I was emailing uh, before we got the budget for a, for a small CRM. Um, and really just then trying to get onto demos, trying to get onto as many client calls as I possibly could to then take that feedback back to our technology team. Um, and I almost was more of a technologist at the time, although I have zero technical knowledge. I was spending more time with them than I was anyone in a sales or marketing vicinity. Um, I was, I was, sorry, I was just going to say, like, that's proper startup mode, right? So you've come out of uni, which, you know, everyone's first job is a bit daunting, but you've come straight out of uni, uh, which is a, a pretty laid back life. I think when we look back now at, you know, age 30 odds, it's pretty laid back at uni and you've come straight into the world of a proper roll your sleeves up startup. 
Yeah, it, it was definitely a surprise. And, and I did have friends at the time who were a few months into like a big four or banking type position. Um, and everything is spelled out for you for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Like, you know how long it takes to get a promotion. You know exactly what you're going to be doing in six months time. Not always, but obviously these huge multi-billion dollar companies, they've got their training processes in place. Um, and yeah, I was sort of <laughs> wild west really sort of thrown into um wearing many many hats very early on but looking back i wouldn't have changed any of that because i think it made me learn so quickly and although i didn't have any proper sort of training as such i was learning a lot from technologists who are some of the best in their field researchers um and then also sharing office space with recruiters i was learning some of that sales piece and it was also just putting a lot of emphasis on myself to have to self-develop and look at podcasts and any training material i could find to you know, essentially understand what sales was, understand what our product was and how we we're going to help our potential clients solve problems. And, and you said you originally applied for a research role. So what what, what did you do at university then? Uh, so it was uh, history and economics um, at Cardiff University. And obviously the history sort of aligns quite nicely with the research. Um, even with economics, I was never overly mathematical. It was more about looking at economics of development or economic history. Um, I relied on a much smarter individual than me to help me through my, my more math-focused exams. Um, so, yeah, I felt like it was, you know, on paper a good fit. Um, I think, you know, looking back, my personality type and my strengths definitely align more with, you know, a customer-facing position than um, more of the analytical side of things, which I think I, I wouldn't have lasted very long in. I, t I tell you what, I never, I never would have guessed if I had to put my money on it that you would have done history and economics at university. And that, that's look. <laughs> not, not even that. I just think like, cause you, you, you know, you are an extremely confident, you know, charismatic individual, perfectly suited. You could argue for sales. And it's like, you just don't imagine that person to have done history and economics at, at university. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I have to say I'll, I mean, I'll probably come on to this more later, but my understanding of sales is so limited. And I imagine the majority of people who have never been in sales have a completely different perspective to someone who's lived and breathed it for, you know, six plus months even, because it's so much more strategic, so much more consultative, there's so much more studying you need to do than what I typically thought was just going to be a bit of confidence, gift of a gab, and you're going to fly. There's obviously so much more to it than that. And it's going to depend on the role, the industry, the, the company that you work for. Um, but I think the fact that sales had so many more layers to it than I could have ever envisaged was part of the reason I found it so interesting. Okay. So you, you joined as, um, you said a business development analyst essentially, and then am I right in saying you sort of quickly after a few months moved more into a business development exec, like a more pure sort of sales role? Yeah. So, so after about six months, we got the, the product to monetization, um, began to bring on our first few clients, which was quite exciting. Um, we did then also bring on, uh, Jason, um, as a director who began to help a lot more on the sales side as well. So we were now going to client visits in, in London. Um, we were doing, you know, a lot more demos and a lot more outbound. Now a big part of our role still had to be feeding back why clients weren't coming on board to our tech team or what clients were looking to see more of, what clients were currently enjoying on the platform. So I was doing an element still of, yes, the prospecting, the demoing and the closing of clients, but also managing them from a post-sales standpoint and still very involved in that research and technology function. Um, but yeah, really it was transitioning more to a business development executive 
bit of a target over my head for the first time um, and beginning to think a little bit more strategically when it came to yeah, revenue generation as a whole, really. Okay, so after a few months, you're in that sort of business development exec role. And then um, just, just run us through that next sort of few months when you were, I guess, you know, a few months, you got your, your feet under the table, so to speak. The products, like, like you said, is start to monetize it. A few first, you know, our first few clients, I should say. Take us through that, that next six months then before we, because I think we call it Talent Ticker 2.0, which was like mm. 2020 onwards. So just describe that sort of uh, that middle period. That period before it. Yeah, I mean, it was equally exciting and frustrating. Um, I think taking a product to market um as early as we did and i think it's probably still the right time but there was still a lot that needed to happen with the product so you know when you go to london um on a two-hour train you're waking up at 5 a.m and then you get you know potentially just myself uh which again was quite surreal going to like these big london offices nine months into my first job outside of university but what i will say is from that first six months working with tech team my product knowledge was very good i came to realize my sales knowledge had uh, an acumen had a lot more to go but um it was even myself or, or jason or sometimes nick visiting these these client offices and sometimes a product would break midway through a demo. Sometimes we're just fine. We, we hadn't produced any content in their market. So that could sometimes be a little bit um, discouraging. Um, but at the same time, we, we had a hundred percent retention rate. I mean, I think at the time we were on monthly rolling contracts and we were seeing people get genuine wins from it and ROI within sometimes days of using it. So there was clearly a need there. And it was just making sure we could effectively fill that need because um, obviously Nick had come with years of experience and recruitment background. He knew there was a gap in the market for this. It was just making sure we could match up the product to that need. So it was a lot of iterating. Um, it was a lot of back and forth between the tech team who had their own ideas and the sales team who always want to just, you know, create features as quickly as possible to make sure that we can retain and grow our clients um, without necessarily understanding how much work goes into a lot of those features that, you know, I've now begun to learn a lot more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say it was a bit of a learning curve. I definitely learned from Jason, um, you know, some of the core fundamentals of, of sort of closing and, you know, how we position a product. I used to do a demo and go through every single feature in as much depth as I possibly could or I get off that demo thinking I hadn't done a good job um, you know I began to learn that actually we want to find the current pain point the problem and then provide much more of a solution sale around obviously the the gap that they had pointed out themselves and the fact that we didn't show one feature of a product doesn't really mean much in the long run in fact it could actually hinder uh, the, the demo as a whole so you know I was definitely still learning um, off a few different people I'd say the product was still definitely developing but we were beginning to see some traction um, just as obviously COVID comes around the corner. Okay. So after that first, um, first year, you know, you've got, like you said, you had built up a, I guess, a core sort of set of fundamental skills um, in sales. And then if we sort of fast forward to 2020, and I think that's when um, I guess like the first sales department team, sort of function was built out more so in terms of a VP of sales coming in, right? 
Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, as I say, Jason had really good sales knowledge. Um, and then when Max came in in September of, of, of 2020, that was then sort of replicated, but from a pure SaaS standpoint, because they come from Meltwater. Um, and it was the first time we had these sort of rigid KPIs in place. And, and this was on the back of, you know, probably the worst of, of COVID. So there was a bit of a dip from a previous six months in terms of client flow. And obviously it's harder to retain clients when everyone is pausing their hiring or actually reducing their staff and furloughing staff massively. So we did have a bit of a dip and then we thought, right, let's give it a, a fresh crack of a whip. Essentially, September of 2020 made a couple of key hires. And that's when I definitely felt I began to ramp up, you know, my, my sales acumen a lot um, from having competition really for the first time, because I'd only ever been working either by myself or with people at like a director or a CEO level. Um, who had slightly different targets to myself and now for the first time I'm sat next to a peer um, Corey and Ben a few others as well um, and my biggest trait is probably a, a very competitive nature so when they've come in and they've got their own experience from different organizations I, I realized how much I still had to do um, from like a training standpoint Max was key in terms of setting up proper processes from you know how many calls we're making emails we're sending to working on conversion rates how many demos are we booking how many of those are converting um, so you know I'd always been working long hours because it required it more from that product side um, now I was working long hours just to make sure I was sort of number one and, and, and hitting my KPIs, which was really challenging. But I think, you know, looking back, we can all say that was definitely a, a period that really helped us all um, to become successful, whether we've gone on to different businesses or stayed within Selligence, because um, it, it was hard, you know, selling a still relatively immature product. But we were doing a very good job of it and getting these like 10, 15 demos in every single week on our own without too much outside support from like an inbound standpoint or an SDR standpoint. It was, it was purely 360 role. So yeah, that's when um, it began to feel like a proper sales team. And that, and at that point, am I right in saying, like you said, there was no inbound in the sense that there was no marketing function was there. So the web, the website essentially was the application itself. You could only really log in and that was it. It wasn't, there wasn't really any brand presence or marketing. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and it meant that, you know, realistically, we were probably targeting quite small organizations. We were obviously still focusing on the recruitment market pretty much 100% of the time. Um, so we were dealing with people who didn't necessarily uh, need as much sort of marketing collateral or case studies, often at that smaller end than some of the bigger enterprise organizations. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it still required us to be have absolute 100% control and ownership of our entire pipeline. We couldn't rely on anyone else. So I think that was good because there's definitely some companies out there where you're just going to get fed, you know, 10 inbounds a week or 10 SDR demos per week. And that's, that's great. I think we'd all like that scenario, but having to have had to do that ourselves at, at, at one point within that process within the last few years, um, definitely gave us an element of, of resilience, I think. And obviously then when you go on to a more managerial position, you can say, I've been there, I've done that. I know it's hard, but it's doable. And, uh, you know, what what was it like sort of selling without any of that? So, you know, no collateral, no website. What, what sort of, you know, what was, the, what was the game plan? Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> looking back, it was, it was pretty tough because I think, you know, now definitely there's a lot more solutions and people are looking at sort of rec tech or sales tech a lot more. 
everyone expects to be sent a deck to have a bit more information everyone expects to see you on g2 or have a, a really good website where you've got your clients listed or how you compare to competitors and and as you say we had uh yeah literally none of that um so it, it probably takes it back to, to what i went through earlier in terms of just making sure we find that pain point um because if you're just going to demo a product and have not much to follow up with after that call we know how quickly a buyer is just going to go on to their next conversation and forget about you pretty quickly um and it's quite hard to follow up with value if you don't have any case studies or anything overly relevant to them so yeah what what we tended to do was was actually try and shorten that sales process as much as possible which was made easier when you're demoing smaller companies where often it's just a decision maker and not too many other stakeholders within the business um, but even on that first conversation, we're understanding within the discovery, what's your current tech stack look like? What are you currently struggling with? Um, what are the core goals of your business, sort of three months, 12 months down the line, understanding if we could obviously help with one of those objectives. And then we're framing that demo from a first point of contact as this is what we discussed on the phone. This is exactly what our solution can provide. If I can show you, you know, how we can do that throughout this call, you know, is there any reason why you wouldn't be able to move forward? And to be honest, at that point, we're pretty competitively priced anyway. So it's not a big financial commitment for a lot of these organizations. Um, but it just meant that without necessarily needing to have some of that marketing and collateral, we could often get deals done on the very same call, if not a few hours later or a couple of days later. And then, uh, you know, that, that, how long were you in, I guess, that still in that core sort of sales team? Um, like, or what was, your, what was your role at the time there? Yeah, so that was, um, I think I'd actually you know, done relatively well despite the COVID pandemic in, in 2020. So I was technically a BDM at this point, business development manager, um, which doesn't actually mean I was managing anyone. When we were hiring new people in, all the BDMs would have an element of training and management responsibility, but not officially. Um, so that was still BDM and it was really solely focused on myself, hitting my own targets um, and, and trying to develop as quickly as possible, to be honest. And then into 2021, the team began to grow slightly, a little bit more management responsibility, doing a little bit more training, lunch and learns, etc. Um, and that was actually when we began to launch for the first time a bit of a satellite office um, helping to, to branch out into the US. So we'd always done a little bit in the US, but it was probably less than 5% of our total client volume. Um, and in 2021, the goal was to actually launch a physical office into the US. But obviously, before doing that, we wanted to make sure that the product still worked there, that we were going to be able to get traction um, and that we could justify building up that physical office. So, yeah. so. January of 2021, I'm still technically a business development manager at that point, um, but I'm beginning to work some pretty inconvenient hours. I think it was roughly 11 a.m. till 9 or 10 p.m. Um, to ensure that I, we could catch the West Coast, who are obviously eight hours behind. And I, I've got it on my, uh, on my notes here. that So 2021 was a, a big year for you, wasn't it, in terms of, I guess, uh, evolution, growth, self-development, So because you moved into out of sales and uh, am I right in saying that you moved into client success to help build out that function due to the increase in uh, customer base yeah so so 2021 was was a big year so you know first sort of six months doing those long hours um, with Nathan who always wanted to spend two or three of those hours at the pub having pints so it was it was hard to keep on track sometimes but um, 
overall sometimes that was helpful when you're working that long of a day and to be honest the US market is a lot harder no matter what anyone says your, your connection rates are going to go down from what we were seeing is roughly sort of 30 40 percent connect when you're calling someone's mobile in the UK to probably a five to ten percent connect ratio if you're, if you're lucky in the US so it, it could be quite demoralizing sometimes um, but overall again it was it was something that I definitely don't regret doing and it was it was really useful to to actually obviously looking back now get that early exposure to the US market and really understand the differences um, and then I went into a sales manager so got promoted to a sales manager position um, in about June of that year and began managing for the first time properly uh, a team of three um, and, I, and I was really enjoying that role um, doing really well the market was really hot at the time um, Obviously, we're sort of coming out of a COVID pandemic at this point, and a lot of recruitment companies are growing massively. Uh, they're bringing on clients left, right, and center. We're beginning to develop our products, so we've got a candidate sourcing solution as well. So, you know, results are really good. I was loving the day-to-day. -day. The team were doing well. And then, sort of out of nowhere, yeah, in, in November of, of 2021, um, we did have someone... Um, leave the customer success division they were currently heading it up at the time at this point we've probably got 300 clients so bear in mind you know only only about 18 months prior to that we'd we'd hit monetization so some pretty quick growth obviously with that comes a lot of growing pains and my my perspective of cs had always been i mean yes you're going to have some problems to deal with but it must be a piece of cake it must be so easy if someone's buying a solution now and then we're only going to develop a product and make it so much better within the next 12 months. How on earth are you ever not going to renew a client? So, you know, I wanted to stay on the sales side. It's where I was being successful. It's where we had a really good team culture. Um, but then again, you know, we were having conversations about this open vacancy and I did have my hesitations because I thought, you know, again, is it more of a customer support role? Do I want to be dealing with, you know, onboardings and trainings when I'm used to sort of demoing and, and what I saw? It's more of an exciting part of, of the organization. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I really thought that it was going to help to accelerate my career and just my overall knowledge of a company. Because doing sales is great. But you can become quite siloed and tunnel visioned in terms of like it's just target after target, especially when you're on monthly targets. Like as soon as the, the month is over, you're focused on that next target. Um, and, you know, my knowledge of a wider business you know, looking back again, definitely wasn't as, as, as vast as it could be. So, you know, for a few reasons, I, I thought it was worth the gamble um, to essentially move into a role where I was heading up CS and I didn't know a huge amount about it, but I felt like I could have a pretty positive impact. Um, and yeah, looking back, it definitely came with its challenges, but it, it was definitely a, a move I don't regret making because I learned a lot and had much bigger impact, I think, in that next six to 12 months than I would have ever done staying in the sales position. So it's in terms of the, the why, it was the business sort of was, I guess the business was open to you, someone who was experienced uh, in the product moving into that role. Two, the challenge three i guess like knowing you for the, the year that i've been here now i can I, I could definitely say that you're you like the challenge don't you You like someone that's that's not just clock in clock out piece of cake mm. sort of thing like you like you thought it would be yeah so i think there's yeah there's probably a few things to explain because it is a big shift like you don't often see people who are doing relatively well in sales move into into customer success it happens but not too frequently and to be honest vice versa um but I think they thought I was quite well suited because I did have that two or three years of product knowledge. 
Um, you know, I've been demoing the platform for a while now. I've been staying close to the research and tech teams. I'd always been quite vocal in terms of where I thought we could develop a product or the data partnerships or whatever it was that, that we are currently working on. Um, and then what's also quite unique for a salesperson is I actually quite enjoyed staying involved with that client in the post-sale process. So traditionally, you get that contract signed, you're going to chuck them to CS and hopefully never see them again. Um, that, that's a lot of salespeople's mindset and there's nothing wrong with that. It arguably makes you a lot more efficient. But I did actually want to often see those clients have success and you know, often sometimes with a goal as well of growing that client, a lot of our clients will come on board with one license with the vision to grow it to five if it went well. So I was also quite, you know, ingrained in that journey. I wanted to stay involved with this customer success team and see how, how is this client getting on? How's he doing? He wanted to achieve X, Y, Z goal. Um, how's he trending against that? So I think that part of, of uh, not necessarily a skill set, but mindset was, was definitely quite aligned with customer success. Um, I mean, I do think, you know, in all honesty, we had some really good processes and tools in the sales teams, which just weren't necessarily replicated in the customer success team at the time. So having learned that part of sales, I definitely felt like I could make quite a big impact on a customer success team, even just from like a process reporting, what meetings are we having in the diary each week? Um, so I definitely felt like I could have an impact. And then, yeah, for me, it's, you know, how can I climb a career ladder? How can I learn as much as I possibly can in a short space as time as possible? And although I thought I was probably going to take a bit of a hit on my enjoyment of a day to day, um, I definitely felt like in the long run, it's going to pay off if I've now, you know, managed within the sales team and the customer success team, which has you know, enabled me to move into the role that I'm currently doing. Um, but yeah, those are the sort of reasons, main reasons behind it. It's interesting you uh, hearing you talk about that, I guess, potentially old school mentality of sell and then just chuck it on and you don't care about it because you've sold it and you you know you've, you've got the commission or whatever but because uh, as a business now it is you know it's icp or nothing and it's about client retention and, and that growth and stuff so would you say that like you said that mindset you had of you actually quite enjoyed staying with the client were, were you one of the first people to sort of spearhead that mentality that that strategy in the business yeah, I mean, I think I think the, the goal was always there, like, you know, CA, client acquisition, sales should always be involved in that client journey. It's going to make it a lot more seamless for them. Um, it's going to show continuity. It's going to make sure that whoever's onboarding them is on the same page as the salesperson in terms of why they came on board in the first place. Like, we always had the goal to make that journey very very clear and defined and, and consistent um, for whatever reason, whether it's being too busy, uh, whether it's having you know a target on your head uh, that was more of a priority at the time. I think sometimes that that journey wasn't quite as slick as we wanted it to be. Um, and I would say, yeah, hopefully the CS team would, would agree. You know, at that time I was probably on the better side of like remaining within that sort of client success journey of a client and, and subsequently probably had higher retention rates, higher renewal rates across the clients that I was bringing on board. Um, and of course, still being a startup organization, clients are going to sometimes have concerns. You know, there's going to be some product bugs and issues. Overall, majority of clients are more than happy and making good ROI, but there's always going to be some some sticking points. Um, so, yeah, I felt like it was only going to benefit the client and probably only going to benefit myself when whilst I was in sales to, to stay involved in that client journey. And depending on how 
a team structure is currently set up, I would advise, you know, often companies will have policies you can stay involved in the first three months, six months, and then get credited for any upsell within that period. Um, so I think it's always worth, you know, keeping, keeping an eye on your clients, even if it's just from a relationship standpoint, you never know that they might give you a referral six months down the line if everything goes well. They might be part of a wider organization. They might have uh, a group that they're involved with. So I, I see no real downside to staying involved with the client and obviously quite a few potential upsides. Well, I was going to say, for what you mentioned referral there, I think in Q1, I think referral was one of the most listed um, sort of self-reported attribution. Like, where did you hear about us form fills for our inbound? So it's obviously paying off, you know, two years down the line. But okay, so you, you've... In 2021, you've moved into that sort of head of CS role. Do you want to just run or describe to us how that team changed over the course of 2021, you know, growth, client growth, you know, new processes and things? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and to take it back, you know, my perspective of CS being relatively easy, of course, with the odd uh, issue to resolve, but renewals, upsells must be a piece of cake and you know i couldn't be i couldn't be further from the truth really because within a startup within a large organization you've got customer support you've got technical support they're just making sure that the product works as it should really for the for the client and they've got all the resources that they need you've then got customer success who is helping that client strategically to achieve certain goals that they've set out um you know with your product with your solution to achieve and then you've got growth teams or account management teams who are looking to monetize those relationships, deal with renewal conversations, any negotiations. And you might even have a director who's dealing with, you know, more serious turn churn conversations or even some of that cross sell upsell um, conversation. So, yeah, in a startup, SES individuals doing all of that technical support, customer support, client success across often a very demanding client base, um, you know, because some 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 tools are going to be pretty slick and easy to onboard others require that human interaction to make sure that it's embedded effectively um and ours you know at that time was definitely on the latter side you know it was helping with integration setup saved searches it was making sure that every single person's platform was developed specifically to help their needs it wasn't just a one-size-fits-all solution and then it's checking in with them every couple of weeks, providing additional training, updating them on new products and doing even if it's a slightly large organization doing these quarterly business reviews. You know, how are you trending against these partnership goals? What does the product usage look like? Who do we need to swap out in terms of low usage users? Who's doing really well? How can we replicate their process across the other the other teams or the other users? Um, so you're wearing a lot of hats and often you have to be a lot more reactive than you'd like. You know, ideally a client success team is always going to be proactive. Who are my high usage, high health score clients where I'm going to have the option to upsell or get early renewals from them? And then who are my low usage, lower health score clients who are going to be more at risk of churning when it comes to the point of renewal? Um, and I'm really focusing on proactive outreach. Can I reach out to other stakeholders? Can I do anything quite creative to get them back on the platform? Maybe they've got a new company goal that they want to achieve. Maybe they've hired someone into the business who we can sort the license to. So all these things are going through your head every second of every day. Um, but when you've also got clients coming to you who need training, who need help with certain requests or tickets, um, it's a very demanding job. And I felt like, you know, realistically at that time, there wasn't much of a process 
renewals weren't really getting tracked anywhere. We didn't necessarily know our net retention rates or churn rates. We didn't really know the reasons why people were churning um, and upsells were almost non-existent because it was quite reactive and typically for growth, you need to be quite a proactive team. Um, so really from, from day one, it was just trying to understand, really compartmentalize where are our client base at, how many of them are happy and using it daily, how many of them are we actually solving a problem for or helping them to achieve goals and then seeing an ROI, how many of them are in that middle period where they check in occasionally, it's useful, but it's probably a nice to have, not a need to have, and then how many are regretting buying it in the first place. So it's really just trying to segment those different uh, areas of our clientele and then come up with a strategy to obviously make the most out of each one. So we want to move that red into green as much as we possibly can. We want to move that green. We want to keep it there, but we also want to see if we can get some upsells and see if we can get it into new departments, new offices, etc. And then obviously that middle patch, we also want to just get using the platform slightly more regularly and see if we can hit on maybe a different pain point they have to get them using the platform. Because Often it's, it's not even going to be that they don't see value in the platform. It's just they're stuck in their current habits and a new tool is often going to be hard to adopt. So we just need to make sure that they know why they're using it in the first place, why their boss bought it in the first place. Keep reiterating that, show them how other clients have you know, achieved similar goals and objectives for using us. Um, and hopefully, yeah, just increase those usage rates, increase people who are giving us good feedback, NPS scores, etc. Um, to a point where we can be quite confident that 18, 90% of this client base is going to be renewing or upselling with us. Now, how, how big was the team uh, at, at that stage then in terms of sales versus CS? Yeah, sales was a lot bigger. I think we had roughly six in the, in a customer success team. Um, and at that point, something that we changed slightly further down the line, the CS team would be doing the onboarding and kickoff call right through to the renewal conversation. Now with my help on, on a couple of different bits and pieces, um, we were a couple of months later then bringing in onboarders who would deal with the first 30 days of a client's journey because there is a lot of integrations. And again, that habitualization of a product, that training really needs to be focused on the first 30 days, which sometimes a client success individual just doesn't have capacity to do. Um, but yeah, we had about six in a CS team uh, and I'd say closer to 20 um, in the sales team because at this point we've got the new york office i think we're beginning to open up the tamper office um so we've yeah probably got 10 sdrs and 10 aes okay so uh, next year 2022 i think i joined in april 2022 so i've seen sort of i saw most of uh 2022 but that was another massive massive year for yourself um and for the for the business in general then so that's Let's go to 2022 because that was a, a big old year for you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the growth was still huge within the organization. I think Q1 2022 was our biggest ever. Um, again, good market, but products really beginning to gain traction, which caused its own sort of difficulties in the CS team because, as I just explained, we were relatively slim and the sales team are you know, very big and firing in some, some good deals. So... The capacity of each CS rep is getting stretched pretty exponentially. Um, but what we are also beginning to do now is focus on upsells, uh, winning back clients who have previously churned because we've developed these new product updates. So for the first time, we're beginning to see growth come into play as a, as a revenue stream, something that just didn't happen in 2021, um, as well as actually understanding that a lot of reasons that companies were churning previously 
um, could easily be resolved. Um, maybe it was a certain part of the, the platform wasn't working as it should and it was just a user error that required a bit more training. Maybe it was a, a feature that they've been awaiting and we've just introduced it. So we're beginning to see slightly less churn as well. Um, and overall, the CS performance is, is pretty good. We've got more, more clients renewing. We've got more clients upselling. We've still got our challenges, of, of course. Um, but overall, we're moving 100% in the right direction and beginning to get you know a bit of specialization within that CS team as well. So recognizing that some people were really great at training, and that's probably what they're going to spend 90% of their time on. Um, some people were much better at actually dealing with the turn churn and negotiations, and, and others were maybe really good at actually dealing with more of a customer support or technical support side of things. So we're beginning to specialize slightly in, as well. And then at the midpoint of, of 2022, Katie joins uh, our CS director, and it essentially enables me to, to, to focus on the fun stuff uh, in CS, the stuff that I enjoyed. So I, I don't my stripes that are dealing with these slightly more difficult uh, cancellation calls, turn churn conversations when they came around, putting in these new spreadsheets and processes to be able to actually get some visibility on our customer success team. So it was you know, quite strenuous at times with, with a growing client base as quickly as it was. Um, but now with Katie coming in and bringing in a lot more customer success knowledge than I had from previous organizations, um, it, it actually enabled me to step into what was you know, the, the head of growth role uh, in I think August of 2022 and really begin to map out our client base from an upsell, cross-sell, um, an expansion standpoint. So head of growth can often mean a, a role more similar to yours. Obviously, a lot of people think I'm in marketing, but head of growth in, in this role is, is really just focused on our existing client base and making sure that they're as happy as they can be, making sure that we can really begin to monetize those relationships as much as possible through either getting more users on board because the current ones are making a great ROI and it's having a really positive impact on their day-to-day it's through uh, potentially upselling on products. So they might just have our candidate sourcing tool and now they have our business development tool. Um, for sales teams, they might be using our prospecting tool requiring more credits. So there's been a few different products that we can upsell. And then there's also the ability to cross sell as well, which obviously means we might be working with the London office of a certain organization, but they actually have just as many people based in San Francisco or New York who have never heard of of Celligens, particularly within these more enterprise accounts. Um, so it's almost starting a new sales process with the added benefit of having a bit of a case study and, a, and probably a champion behind you. Um, but that was where, you know, probably when I was heading up the CS team, about 10% of my time was spent. Now it's 90% of my time is spent purely on, on monetizing existing accounts. And, and in terms of, because there's, there was CS, um, I guess, customer support or customer success, um execs i'd call you maybe and then customer success managers and then a head of growth so how, how did it work in terms of because the the cs guys obviously would want to be proactively trying to upsell and cross sell so how did it how did it work with you being in sort of the growth and what you know to are you all still actively you know doing that sort of stuff yeah so the the way it works and it's what we've been working on for probably like the last yeah i guess sort of eight nine months now um is, is typically I want to be involved in a conversation with their decision maker. It could be as early as a kickoff call before we've even started on the platform. It could be a quarterly business review three months in, six months in, et cetera. 
and really understand, obviously we want to understand what does good look like for you? What what company and partnership goals are we looking to help you achieve through Celligence? Um, and that's often where our customer success team will stop because their main goal is going to be retention and renewal. Um, what I want to understand is, okay, that's what good looks like to, to retain you as a client. What do you need to see to grow this account with us? Because as I say, a lot of these companies came on board with what we call a land and expand mindset anyway. Um, so we might have five people out of a team of 50 using the platform. And I really want to understand what's it going to take for those additional 45 people to also get their own licenses. And, and sometimes that's going to come down to a monetary ROI. So it might be a 10X ROI. Sometimes it's going to be time saved in a day. It might just be if, if these guys are saving an hour a day in research and admin, and we can replicate that across the entire company, that's good for me. Sometimes it's just going to be adding contact data or events into their CRM. So using us more as a data enrichment or validation tool. Um, but as long as I understand that, then I can keep them accountable. So when we've achieved that goal, so I'll be staying in close contact with the CS rep, uh, whether it's a customer success manager, customer success executive, very similar, probably just slightly differentiated on, on how big of a client they're managing and size of portfolio. Um, but I'll be staying very close to them and I'll say, you know, hey, John from X company said that he needs to see a 10X ROI. How are we trending against that? And as soon as we're getting close or we've hit that goal, I'll be on the phone to John and we'll be setting up a call with him to understand, right, this is what we've said. We've helped you to achieve that objective. Um, now let's look at rolling this out across a wider business because at that point, it's only going to make, make sense. If you're making a 10X ROI on five people, imagine what the, the ROI could be on 50 people. Um, so it's almost silly not to expand your relationship at that point. So that that's really how we work together. I wouldn't be able to get upsells if the CS team weren't working very closely with each individual user to help get to that ROI, because often it's going to be making sure they have their saved searches set up. They're using it daily. They're using it in a proper workflow. So it's not just sending one email and or making one phone call and hoping that it converts. It's an omni-channel approach with seven, eight touch points that's where they're going to see the success, but that could be harder to implement than it sounds. So the CS reps are going to keep that particular user, that particular account, um, using the platform, using it correctly. And then I'm the one who will then, you know, hopefully step back in in a couple of months time and, and, and work on a little, you know, proposition for them when it comes to growing the account with us. So before we go on to, something big that happened in October for you personally, I think it was October. What was the, um, you know, you're in that sort of head of growth. What was the biggest success story then from, uh, you know, client base in, in, uh, I don't know, 2022. I think I've got a couple of names in my mind that were particularly big success stories, but what was one of the, for you, what was one of the biggest success stories from a client perspective? Yeah. So I think looking at the year as a whole, um, you know, we've done zero dollars or zero pounds of upsell and, and maybe a couple of a couple of K in, in, in 2021, but, but really it was negligible. And then in the first half of 2022, when I was in the head of CS, we're beginning to see some consistent about five times that. So, you know, maybe five to 10 K a month coming in in this upsell and win back um, pretty consistently. And it's, it's not a huge amount, but it's something. And then when I moved into a head of growth role, we're suddenly seeing that go up by four or five times. So just seeing those numbers on, on a spreadsheet was was pretty, I think, good for the whole company because I think upselling and growth is one of the biggest signals. Obviously, you've, you've got product market fit and that your, your clients are actually enjoying using the platform, of course, with retention as well. 
Um, but seeing those numbers increase was a really good signal. Um, and I think, you know, specifically within probably the back end of 2022, we had over 10 clients won back. So that means they've churned in previous years, and that could be for a multitude of reasons. And they're now utilizing Celligence again. Um, pretty much all of them on a bigger subscription they were on last time. A lot of them we provided some access to because obviously trust is going to be a little bit damaged if they've used something before. It hasn't quite worked. So in some situations, we give them some access to the platform or at least a very thorough demo. Um, they could see the huge advancements that we've made to Celligence in the time that they've not been with us. Um, because I mean, we were a massively expanding platform. Like every single month, there's new product updates, there's new data partnerships. So a lot of the time they were just awaiting a feature to go live in the first place. A lot of the time they were stunned by how much we've done in the last two years. So I think the fact that we brought back so many clients and the fact that they're pretty much exclusively still with us now was, was a really good sign uh, and something that I didn't actually think was that possible uh, prior to, to reaching out to them. Um, and then we also had our, our biggest upsell, um, yeah, it's recruitment company. Um, they they went from not really using the platform at all in the first half of 2022. We we had almost no relationship with their main stakeholder decision maker. I mean, about three months prior to renewal, um, I think I actually booked in a QBR with them. And then Cat, one of our customer success managers, ran them through some of our recent product updates, including the Chrome extension that we just developed. And suddenly from having a few users on probably the wrong package for them, they went to 40, 50 users and living and dying through this, this Chrome extension. So um, it's a good example of just understanding like what we sell uh, isn't necessarily going to be the correct tool six months down the line. It might not even be the correct tool one month down the line because the market's going to change. Um, their company objectives are probably going to change. Their team could completely change. So it just shows how you need to stay so involved with each and every client on a pretty regular basis and not just assume that we've sold the right thing from a get-go, that they're using it correctly. Um, but actually, we could be having a much bigger impact on their business if a different part of their organization was using us um, or even, you know, using it in a completely different way. So that, that that was a big one, definitely the biggest upsell of 2022. And then we also had a couple of our more enterprise accounts grow into new offices, um, which is always a good sign as well when we're, we're getting on, as I mentioned earlier, not just one office, but actually we're beginning to get that virality across a business. It's word of mouth. It's, it's clearly having an impact on one team and the other team's getting jealous and they want it. That's the ideal scenario for me is that it's almost happening organically. Um, each and every user or person within that business wants a license. No, I just got to say, I think the the first uh, sort of example you gave there was the was the one that I had in mind. So glad you covered that. But I, one of the other big things for me is we do a, a monthly town hall, and I guess pre to you pre you moving into that head of growth role, we we never really openly reported on performance or figures because, like you said, there weren't any. So I think it was great to see every month actually looking at those figures of oh actually here's what growth have done and here's what you know actually seeing that as a number up on a board as part of the the performance and not just sales it was like there's actually growth and upsells and things which was really really good so i think that was a massive uh, sort of bonus as well sort of seeing that like pay off and um you know turn into some uh, some some real money basically so yeah Let's move on to that, that that chunky thing then that happened for you personally uh, in October. So what 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 was it? What happens? Uh, you're still alive, so it obviously went well. But yeah, <laughs> run us through it. 
alive and much more tanned. Yeah. Um, yeah, managed to to make the move to the US, and it was something I was talking to you know Nick and previously Max about for some time. Um, I'd lived in London for ten years growing up, then Cornwall, then Cardiff, uh, so I'd always sort of moved around, and I definitely wanted to move to a completely different country at some point. And I didn't necessarily know where, but I always knew in the back of my mind I wanted to have like a big big life change, um, switch things up a little bit. I'm terrible at different languages, so it's pretty limited to you know probably Australia or the US and as soon as we opened up a Tampa office it was ideal um I was fixated on it because I love the sun the tax rate's pretty good it's it's a massively booming city um it's, it's having some of the highest growth in like house prices and people migrating here uh, out of any other city in the US uh, which is good and obviously bad in some ways as well um but I mean yeah having lived here for pretty much six months to the day now completely different world um, and exactly what I was hoping it to be and, and a lot more obviously some cultural differences you know when it comes to like sales and um, and the team as a whole I think there's there's definitely a different mindset I think you definitely have to be a lot more resilient because people will swear at you down the phone a lot more than they will in the UK I think people are much more ready to just hang up on you from a get-go so and that was obviously something I'd, I'd, I'd experienced helping to launch our satellite office uh, I, I guess about a year prior but even when I was doing that I had the end goal in mind of moving to the US it was definitely a, a goal of mine for some time and yeah the last six months have been great I can't see myself ever ever going back to the UK um, unfortunately yeah, I was going to say week in, week out when we have uh, some sort of call or catch up, I've been seeing your skin tone gradually get darker and darker and mine get paler and paler. But um, no, aside from the aside from the amazing weather and the, the things you've said about the culture and stuff, obviously you went over there to sort of help, I guess, not build out the office, but go over there and I, I guess it was to have more of a footprint from a growth perspective in the u.s right yeah for, for sure um so yeah as much as like the, the you know whole uh, appeal of tampa was huge there was also a big business case for it and that the u.s is a bigger market than the uk naturally for, for sales teams for recruitment teams um and it was definitely going to be the area of focus for us to, to, to really build out so yeah it, it, it made sense from from both angles um you know we've spent a lot of time with our us clients it's, it's very different in terms of a competitor landscape and often actually the pain points or goals we're looking to achieve so it definitely just can't be replicated in terms of what we're doing in the uk to the us um and i think the more people we had on the us side who were sharing you know what what was happening over here what was working well here that wasn't in the uk what's you know vice versa um the better but yeah, it's it's been you know a, an interesting few months. Um, obviously, the wider sort of macroeconomic conditions and and the tech market as a whole has, has caused challenges on us as it has a lot of other businesses. Um, but for the most part, you know we're 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 doing pretty well in the U.S. market. Um, our U.S. clients are growing. We've had a few come back to us this this month alone um, from like a win back standpoint. And then, you know, it, it, it's quite exciting what this year could bring because I think the markets are beginning to stabilize slightly. We're beginning to see a bit more traction and definitely more demand for our solution whilst sales teams and recruitment teams look to do more business development. So, yeah, it's it's been, um, yeah, an up and down few months from a work perspective. I'd say definitely mainly up. Um, but definitely excited to see what the next few months can can bring and definitely sort of 
building out this US function is going to be a key focus of mine and, and I'm sure for the company as well. So we, the, the title of this video was uh, Business Development Executive to Head of Growth in Four Years. And, you know, I, I think over the last 50 minutes. Three and a half, technically, but yeah. Okay, yeah, we go. There's the competitive nature coming out. The true colors are coming out. He's relaxed, <laughs> relaxed now after 50 minutes. Um, no, so that's a, a, a whistle stop cover of the three and a half years. I'll have to change the title. Three, uh, three and a half years of, you know, moving into a startup with basically no process, no function, not even a product at that point, uh, through to head of growth, delivering consistent, um, growing, uh, you know, revenue for the business, um, from, from a, from a growth standpoint. So we, we touched on one of your, I guess, biggest success stories for 2022 in terms of like client success and the, the, the growth, um, sort of success stories there, but over the course of those four years, just in, in a personal development point of view, what have been some of the highlights aside from the tan? <laughs> I can't think of anything else. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think, I mean, it's been a roller coaster ride. I don't think anyone who's been at Selligence for more than a few months would, would, would argue with that. And I know that's just being part of a startup. Um, as I say, I think in that first year, it was just so interesting for me to learn so much from so many different departments and have immediate access to the CEO, to the head of technology, you know, people with 10, 15 years of experience who've been at big companies before. And I'm there, this fresh grad, not really knowing what I'm doing, but like having a really big impact on a product roadmap. That to me was really exciting. Um, and you know, I, I would always advise people, it, it depends on, you know, what, what you want to do, but um, I, I do think a startup is always going to be very exciting and you're going to learn a lot very, very quickly. Um, and I think, you know, we always had a, and have a, a really good culture as well. Um, I think it would have been a lot harder having that sort of chaotic um, environment if people weren't as collaborative and, and supportive as they were. So, you know, cross-departmentally, as well as sort of within your own department, people are lending each other support, you know, the Slack channel, the Teams channels constantly pinging. If anyone needs any help with anything, you know, people are gonna be jumping in to, to, to help support. So I think that's definitely been like a consistent highlight across the four years has just been like how well the different departments get on with each other. Um, and like the, the sort of spirit of the organization, like all heading towards this, this end goal essentially yeah i was gonna say you know it's not chaos for chaos's sake it was chaos from the point of view of like everyone was incredibly busy trying to scramble for that ultimate goal right it, it wasn't just mm. you know lack lack of um skill or lack of uh i guess lack of work ethic it, it literally was just a case of there's so much opportunity there so if you can hear in the background we've got a little uh speaking of the speaking of the culture We've got a, a, a putting, uh, you know, mat or golf club, and they're going from one end of the office at the back here, probably about a hundred feet up the other end, trying to pot uh, a hole in one, um, which is which is the uh, what you can hear in the background there. So, do, do you miss do you miss that side of things in, in that Cardiff is our our HQ? Um, I, I, yeah, I can do from time to time, and it's definitely been yeah another positive of, of the last four years, you know. At times, uh, and clearly now, you know, we, we've had some really good groups of individuals and the culture's been amazing. It's whether it's been Friday beers consistently, whether it's been going out on hikes or 
going to play tennis, whatever it may be. Um, there's always been a good unit of people who get on very, very well within the organization. And even people who have left for whatever reason have always stayed in touch and sort of stayed involved within the organization in some sense. So, yeah, I can definitely attest to that. Um, it's hard to miss Cardiff when it is 30 degrees every single day, <laughs> I must say. And for anyone contemplating the move from the UK to the US, I will say that one of the biggest differences for us has been an apartment building. There's activities thrown on every single day and you meet everyone in your building within days. Whereas in Cardiff, I didn't know my neighbor after three years in our apartment building. So I will say that despite the team being quite small here um, at, at this point in time, um, the wider sort of community of, of Tampa has definitely helped to alleviate that. So we, we've still got, you know, enough to do on a weekend. Um, but no, I mean, I'm, I'm coming back to Cardiff in a few weeks' time, so definitely looking forward to getting that hole-in-one. We should have done the, this podcast live when you when you were back so I could see the tan in real life. But no, I think um, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you, know, you know, what you were saying there about the, I guess, the community sort of culture that's out in Tampa that you don't necessarily have in the UK. I think when it is hot in the UK, like when it is 28 to 30 degrees, everyone is out having barbecues with like 20 other people and family and things. And I think it, I think it is just down to the weather. Like if you know, it's going to be raining 60% of the year, you tend to just stay to yourself in your home and just, yeah. you know, chill out, don't you? So no, I, we are very jealous. Uh, every time someone gets off a call with you, they, they talk about Tampa or the, the weather or the beach or, or whatever. Um, so what, just to finish off them 56 minutes in, what is, what is next? Like what is, in terms of, you know, I don't expect you to reveal that you're leaving next month, but like what, what, what's next in terms of what, what do you want from the future? You've gone from sales to CS. Is it, is that where you are? You, you want to be staying now or is it just go with the flow? Yeah, I, it's, um, it's a question I, I, I keep asking myself because I think when there's been, sounds like someone's got it. Um, it's, it's a question I do keep asking myself because yeah. I think when I've had more, uh, sort of, leadership in the, in the past and there's more people above me there's always been a clear roadmap in terms of you need to achieve x goal um whether that be financial or whether it be uh you know training people or getting my team to be successful and then by june you're going to be promoted to this position um obviously as you sort of climb a ladder um your success becomes a lot more linked to the organization's success and it's harder to be as specific um so, you know, going into each year, I always like to have a goal of like, what do I want my job title to be? Where do I want to be in, you know, 12 months time? Um, and I found this year probably the hardest just because I feel like there's so many more external factors than, than usual that can that can influence it. But I think from like a day to day, as long as I'm still learning, as, as long as I'm still putting myself outside of my comfort zone, like doing podcasts occasionally uh, and, and embarrassing myself, then that's definitely one thing. I, I don't want ever want to be in a role or position where it's just mundane and it's like clockwork and I'm not really having to think about anything. I want to put myself into slightly more challenging positions, both inside of work and outside of work. I, I do think and part of the reason I stepped into customer success was that it does give me a very well-rounded knowledge of the sales function, what, what they do wrong, what they do well, and then the CS function. And this gap in between where I think both of them have different understandings of what the other team do and it's often quite misaligned so I think the fact that I can sort of understand why sales think this about CS and why CS think that about sales but also then sort of you know combine the two and give a more honest reflection is, is quite handy to going into a, a position that 
could eventually at some point in my career um, there'd be the interlink between the two whether that's a VP or director position at some stage so yeah it's, it's hard to give specifics but um, I mean I really enjoy I really enjoy sales I really enjoyed customer success and, and definitely the growth aspect of customer success um, and if I can combine the two at some point in my career I think I'd be a, a happy man I was going to say just to your point there about you know one day getting to director or chief exec or you know CRO or whatever they I think someone was saying that you the best like directors of sales or VPs of sales have actually worked in customer success to to a degree or, or they've been you know in a business that is uh that massive believers of customer success being a, a core 50 50 split or whatever um and yeah. i guess it's that like old school mindset of that nah, sales is sales and true salesmen mm. and cs and cs now they could never do sales they're not hardcore enough you know yeah. that, that's uh an old school mindset sure. so i think you've definitely like you said set yourself up for um like, I think from the, from the get-go, you said it was all about what's going to get me the most amount of career growth in the shortest space of time. And I think, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you definitely set yourself up um, for that. I do also think, just to your point, uh, people are becoming more and more aware of the importance of customer success. I do think it used to be seen as a customer support function to make sure that clients were retained. Um, and now people are seeing that it can actually be the biggest uh, revenue stream, particularly in today's market where it's far more hard and, and costly to bring on new clients as additional layers of due diligence, as more competition. If you can maximize growth within your existing client base, it's far less costly, it's far more profitable. Um, so I do think customer success is only becoming more important in the, in the wider conversation, in the wider market. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely glad to have sort of made that transition when I did gain exposure to both. I wouldn't be averse to going solely back into one or the other, but um, I think combining the two and trying to bridge some of those gaps between the two different functions would, would definitely be a an area of hopeful strength. No, I think um, you mentioned Katie earlier, our um, director of, of um, CS, but I think she said, um, you know, net recurring revenue is the safest form of revenue. Like you said, there's no cost to to keeping customers on board aside from the cost you've already got. Um, you don't have to spend to attract them. Um, so the more that you can retain, the less holes you've got in your bucket, uh, the better for the business. So I think that's definitely um, a, a mindset shift for the business over the last four years, but businesses in, in the industry in, in general, especially when the market is uh, as tough as it, uh, as it is now, let's say. Um, but no, it's, been, it's been great to chat with you over the last um, hour. I will change the title to uh, BD executive to head of growth in three and a half years. Uh, I might actually get the exact number of days. Uh, just, That'd you know, be good. Just, just to be precise. Um, but no, it's been great to talk with you and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on soon. But um, your fingers crossed you've, uh, you didn't find it too awkward or too, I think you were a little bit nervous, you said even. No, I don't get nervous. Don't know where you got that from. <laughs> Shame I wasn't recording that bit, but wasn't it? But uh, but no, it's been uh, it's been great chatting, and hopefully we'll we'll get you back on soon. Nice one, nice to see you, mate.